Oh, Lord. My wife and I, and I'll tell you this, I've, I've never been shy about these kinds of things. But uh, it's never about the messenger. It's always about the message. Amen. And uh, when, when God is moving, I have no problem stepping aside and letting God move. Because that's a freight train that does not stop. And I'm not standing in front of it. Amen. Uh, God is doing some incredible things. Let me take a moment to introduce my family real quick. Uh, babe, you can come up here. You don't have to. Well, you can do what you want. Or what he wants. This is my wife, Ashley, and our newborn son, Arthur. Uh, I'm David, of course. We're here on deputation to raise support, financial support, and also prayer support. And uh, we covet both of those things. We have a little video we're going to go into right now. And then my wife's going to come up and just give a a quick little spill about uh, what we do.
name's David Cadd. And I'm his wife, Ashley. And we're missionaries here to Madagascar. further expand the campus ministries right now we have a very good solid core group that we've built up but we are looking to expand and to rapidly grow and prosper in jesus name So we are extremely blessed. We live in a beautiful nation, but not only is the nation beautiful, but it's a revival nation, and it's a nation that uh, is marching forward. And to share some details about that, I'm going to let my wife take over. Praise the Lord, everybody. <laughs> Me and my husband have been blessed to serve in the nation of Madagascar these past three years. As you can see in our video, they are a beautiful people. They, uh, we, Madagascar is an island nation off the southern coast of uh, Africa. They call it the island at the end of the world. It takes it's a 20 hours flight time to get there. It is a hard place to get to, but it is a beautiful place. Over the past three years, we have worked with youth committees. We have taught in the Bible school, and we have worked with our translation team. We speak Malagasy in Madagascar, which is the only place in the world that is spoken. So every piece of literature that comes into our hands, we have to translate. And so we have worked hard, and um, uh, we work alongside missionary Chris and Paula Richardson. Chris Richardson is a third-generation missionary to the island nation of Madagascar, and it has been an honor and a privilege to work alongside them. Together, they have they have translated thousands of books um, worked hard to translate Bible school books, and we have worked alongside them to help see that come to fruition. 
We have three Bible schools in Madagascar with a fourth one being built. We roughly have 120 people come through our Bible school every year and become licensed ministers. And those people are commissioned to go out and to start churches. This year alone, even though with 2020, we were also, Madagascar was also affected. We, uh, the day we flew back, we had been (laughs) in confinement 118 days. And so, as you can imagine, the government put strict, um, put in strict restrictions in place. We weren't allowed to meet. And um, it was hard at first in Madagascar because when, um, Madagascar is a revival nation. Every Sunday we hear reports of baptisms and Holy Ghost infillings. And when the restrictions put, were put in place, we, we saw that nobody was getting filled with the Holy Ghost. Those reports quit coming in. And so what we did is we gathered together. We said, even though we can't meet in person, we're going to come together at the same time at 7 o'clock every night, and we're going to come together in prayer. And as we unified as a church, and you could see the fear lift off of our, from our pastors, and we began to see them going out into homes. We began seeing saints teach and preach the gospel to their family in their home and have prayer meetings in their home. And we began to hear reports of Holy Ghost infillings, of people getting the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And last year, even though we weren't able to have any crusades, any major conferences, most churches weren't able to meet hardly at all. We still saw 14,000 people get the Holy Ghost in Madagascar. Praise God. God is doing a great work there. And we have been so privileged and honored. In... um, in 2019, in January, God called me and my husband to the Democratic Republic of Congo. There is a work there. There's roughly 20 churches with about 4,000 saints, they, they claim. And um, we have not yet stepped foot in that nation. There has not been a missionary there for 25 years. And so we are so excited to take what we've learned in Madagascar and see the vision. In Madagascar, we have 1,000 churches, uh, 1,200 pastors, and a quarter of a million saints. And we're so thankful that we've been able to work there and to gather a vision to bring to the Congo. And so we are excited to go. We have such a burden. There is 90 million souls in the Congo. It's a quarter of the size of the U.S. It's a huge nation. And so we're so excited to get our hands dirty and to work alongside those nationals to teach and to pour into pastors and into our children in almost every country in Africa half of the children, or half of the population is 15 and under. So we essentially became youth pastors when we we became missionaries to Africa as well. And so we feel such a huge burden to reach our youth, which is why we've been very active with our youth ministry in Madagascar, with our national youth leaders and campus ministries. We do uh, seminars for our youth all the time. And so we are so burdened to go there, to build Bible schools, to pour into these Congolese and to see revival in the name of Jesus. Well, I hear my baby crying, so I better turn this over. Thank you. Yeah, he, he, I knew he was going to get upset. <laughs> I said, we'll see how long he lasts. Not very long. Who knows? Said, That's not mama. Amen. So as my wife has said, we we are very busy. We have our hands full. There's an endless list of jobs uh, to be done 
and God has blessed us, but aren't you thankful to be here this morning? Amen. Amen. Out of all the places you could have been on a Sunday, all the, all the trouble you could have gotten yourself into on a Sunday, you decided, you know what, the best place for me truly is in the house of God. Amen. I am so thankful to, be, to have the opportunity and the privilege to be able to come into the house of God and to worship together in unity and in spirit with all the fellow believers and all of the incredible things and experience all the incredible things that God has in store for us. I want to begin today in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. And it says, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. And it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is Paul speaking. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I've come to preach a very simple message on this Pentecost Sunday. I am persuaded. I am persuaded. Paul was a man who would endure great persecution, real persecution, persecution that I have yet to find a missionary amongst our ranks that could even come close to what Paul would go through and endure. Paul was a man who would endure great pain and suffering for this truth, and he would pay ultimately the ultimate price for this truth that we enjoy so freely today. But Paul was persuaded. He was convinced and he was sold out to the idea that absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing could separate us from the love of God. And he asked it as a question. He said, what could separate us from the love of God. Is it going to be tribulation? No, no. What about distress? What about when things are going wrong? When things are stressed out in your life? Is that going to be enough? No. What about persecution? What about when the government is cracking down and closing up churches? Will that be enough? Uh-uh. What about famine? What about when the food is drying up? What about when the pantry is empty and the shelves and you're not sure what you're going to eat. Is that going to be enough? What about poverty? What about when you don't know how you're going to pay the rent or, or the bills are due? What is it going to take to separate you from the love of Jesus? What about peril? What about when there's actual threats on your life for your belief system? Is this going to be what it takes? Or are you going to be like Paul who is uh, going through all kinds of stuff, who has a whole laundry list of things that he has endured and been afflicted upon him. But yet in the middle of all of this, he can simply write, For I am 
persuaded. I am still sold out to this. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. It doesn't matter how harsh it gets. I am still persuaded of these things. So church, I have come to ask you the same question that Paul asked us in the, in, in the book of Romans. Are you still persuaded of this? Are you still convinced of this? When you look back at all that 2020 had in store and with all of its terrible surprises and with every dangerous twist and turn that we encountered in that year, I have come to simply bring the question that Paul brought to the church in Rome. Are you still persuaded of this? Are you still sold out to this? Are you still convinced that this is the truth? Are you still convinced that this is not only the way, but it is the only way? That this is the way forward? That there is nothing else that we can turn to? That this is not the gospel, not a gospel, but the gospel? That this is all that we have? This is all that we need? That I am still persuaded of these things? My wife and I, in the year 2020, we had a wild year in Madagascar. I don't know if my wife said it or not, but we went through over 118 days in quarantine. 118 days. That's a long time to be locked up in an apartment. That's a long, long time to be locked up in an apartment. And to make matters worse, in the middle of all of this, we had a run on the markets. Uh, Not the stock market. We don't have that. We have actual markets. And when, 20, when the lockdown was announced, all of the food just disappeared. Gone. Markets emptied out. Go to a grocery store, nothing on the shelves. Gone. Street vendors, gone. Everything. Sold out. Completely empty. And, and, and to make matters worse, the airport and the ports were closed. There was no imports coming in. There was nothing on the shelves. Talk about famine. What's it going to take to separate you? And so we're sitting here in the middle of, of, of a crisis that has now mushroomed into another crisis. And to make matters worse, we're in the middle of dry season. And dry season is exactly what it sounds like, folks. I, I have to, sometimes I have to explain this at a very elementary level. So here we go. Dry season means no water. It's dry. You'd be amazed the number of questions I get about dry season. Like, so, so does it rain? I'm like, no, no, it's dry. We have rainy season, and it rains every single day for months on end. Fills everything up. And then we have dry season where, guess what? It doesn't rain for months and months on end. It's absolutely dry. It's like an on and off switch in Madagascar. It's the, it's the craziest thing to have to live through. So we have 2020, COVID's hitting, boom, we have a problem. It then mushrooms into the panic buy, where all of a sudden now we no longer have the food. To make it worse, it is now mushroomed into the fact that now we're in the middle of dry season and a time where we cannot actually grow food. We are now, uh, we are now looking at a crisis that has magnified itself threefold in, in a matter of weeks and we are sitting there, and we're trying to figure out what to do. What do we do? It's, uh, not, there's, you know, there's not like a manual on how to, how to get out of this. You know, 
Sorry, there's just not. Some of these crises, we just had to figure it out as we went. And so what the church did, all of us, and by all of us, I mean everybody, four missionaries, a thousand pastors, a quarter of a million saints, everybody, every single person, from the person that had been in there from the very beginning to the person that had the Holy Ghost for ten minutes, everybody decided that every night at seven o'clock, we were going to get together on our knees, everybody, no matter where you were, at seven o'clock, you stopped what you were doing, and you were on your knees, united in prayer. And so every single night, every night, rain or shine, it did not matter what had happened that day. It did not matter what 2020 had brought. It did not matter what crisis had come. And we were facing all kinds of things. We lost respected pastors and elders in our church were dying. We, we were lo- losing uh, communication with the work. We, I mean, everything, it was like a house of cards, and we just watched it all crumble down in front of us because the whole infrastructure, this is a very, very poor country, and so it doesn't take much to, uh, to completely just offset the very fragile and delicate balance of a third world country. And 2020 came in like a bowling ball and just annihilated everything. And so in the middle of all of this crisis, the church would be unified together every single night and prayer, and I am telling you, folks, there is something powerful when you unify together in prayer. Uh, if prayer is important, but when you add the element of unity into it, and you begin to unify together in prayer, it completely begins to change the entire atmosphere. And all of a sudden, as the world was going quiet, and as the island was going quiet, and as governments were going quiet, and Everything was shutting down around us in the middle of the silence. As the silence was descending, there was a single unified voice in prayer of the entire work that was being lifted up every single night. And it began to radically transform us as a people and as a work. And we begin to step from the natural into the supernatural. We step from the natural to the supernatural when, you, when, when we unified in prayer. So we're sitting here in the middle of a crisis. Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. Everybody, all the pillars of the faith, all, all, the, all the elders that had, had been there from the very beginning, some of the first, from, from the very first uh, Bible school class, some of our respected elders, our TF Tinnies, you might say, were dying right in front of us. Imagine the heartbreak and the panic is. As a missionary, you're sitting there and you're watching as everything you know and love. It's like watching your child suffer through something and you're, you're almost helpless to stop it. And it's that same feeling and we're going, oh God, what do we do? What can we do? And one night I was walking and I live on the campgrounds. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful place. And, but that's my, I have a time, a midnight hour, I'll go out and I'll walk my dog. And for me, that's my time to commune with God. As a minister, many times I spend a lot of time pouring out. But in that midnight hour, along with God, that's my time to receive. And so I would make a very a habit of it. Every night I would go out and I would talk to God and I would walk my dog and I would admire the heavens and, and um, all, all, that, all that was there. And, and one night while doing this, in the middle of everything that has gone wrong, I'm sitting there and, and I hear this noise. You got to realize out in the countryside, there's no noise pollution, there's no light pollution, any of that. It's I hear it coming up the valley, and it's this light, light tapping noise. So 
almost, you hear it. And I'm sitting there in the darkness, and it's completely dark. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, what in the world is this? I said, I've been out here countless times I have walked out here at night, and I have not heard this noise. This is a new noise. This is a different noise. This is something odd, something's weird, something's off, something's wrong. And, and I'm sitting there, and, and I'm listening, and as this noise gets louder and louder and louder, and it starts coming up the valley, and, and I'm sitting there on one end of the valley, and I'm, I'm listening, watching out over the rice paddies, and I'm just kind of standing there in the dark at this point, and I don't know what's coming. And I don't know if that was the smartest thing to do under most circumstances. Most people might in that circumstance say, you know what, maybe I should get behind something, get in some cover. But me, I'm just standing out there with my walking stick and my dog just in the darkness watching, listening as whatever it is comes up. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the darkness, I felt it. Something hit me on the cheek. And I stood there for a minute and I said, what was that? I said, something is wrong. Maybe I'm just feeling something. You know, sometimes you just wonder, okay, maybe, maybe it was a nerve or something just tweaked or something. Maybe something's wrong with me. And so in the middle of the darkness, I feel something hit my cheek. And I go, okay, that was, something's wrong. Something's different. But the thing is, though, it wasn't just one little thing that hit me. And before I knew it, I felt water coming down all around, soaking over me. And it kept coming, and it kept coming, and it kept coming. Before I knew it, uh, what started out as a little sprinkle had now become a deluge of water. And this deluge of water continued day after day after day after day. Now, I can see the look on your face. You're going, why are you talking about this, missionary? Because you've got to realize this was in the middle of dry season. And in the middle of dry season, there is no water. It does not come. It has never come. It has never been recorded that it has come. In hundreds and hundreds of years, the Malagasy people, they set their crop rotation by it. They know exactly when to plant. They know exactly when to harvest. And when that is done, they go into the dry season and they instead switch to bricks. They have an entire uh, uh, community, culture, everything. Their entire industry is based upon the cycle of the wet and the dry season. So I'm sitting here in the middle of dry season... And I'm looking at an absolute deluge of water that is pouring night after night after night. And it filled up every single lake. It filled up every single stream. And and the grass, all of a sudden, that had been brown for months, now was turning green again. And vegetable gardens that had been struggling and just trying its best to make it all of a sudden burst into life, and I'm telling all of these things to get to this point, that in the middle of this crisis, God sent a supernatural intervention. It should not have happened. It has not happened before, and it has not happened since. And I was talking to the Bible college students, and I said, what's going on? They said, we don't know, missionary. We don't understand this either. This has never happened we, we have talked to the elders of the church, people that have been here 50, 60, 70 years, and they're saying, we haven't seen this either. There is something strange happening right now. God is on the move, and God is doing something. And you've got to realize that at that point, Madagascar was facing famine. 
Madagascar, we were, we were looking at an extinction. We were about a month away from going over the brink into the very edge. It wasn't going to be COVID that killed us. It was going to be starvation that got us. And so we were sitting there at the very end of our rope when everything was bad and God swept in in a mighty and a powerful way and absolutely transformed the situation in a way that we could have never dreamed of. We were praying for all these things, but it never crossed our mind to pray for rain. I tell you that as a lesson. Sometimes our faith fails us and we start praying for the wrong things because I never in my mind would have believed that God would have sent rain in dry season. In my mind, that was impossible. I said, that will never happen. It has never happened. It will never happen. I said, I'm not even going to bother praying for that. I was praying for the port to be open so we could get imports and we could sustain ourselves off of that. I was praying for that. I thought, oh, there's no way we're going to get some Old Testament style, you know, boom, supernatural uh, uh, mother nature, as you might call it, miracle coming in. And, and, but yet that is what God chose to do. And so I, have, I tell you all of these things because I understand that we all have to go through things. And, and while your famine might not be an actual famine, it might be, in fact, a spiritual famine. You might be going through a time period in your life where spiritually you feel like you are in a famine where you're going, you know what, I don't feel like I can connect to God like I have in the past. And I don't feel like I've been able to be alive as I have in the past. And, and, but you, what you need to realize is that in the middle of the famine, God can send rain. Not only has he done it in Bible times, but I am living, walking, talking proof. I saw it with my very own eyes, something that should not have happened. And so I've come to get back to that original question that Paul asked the church in Rome. Are you still persuaded of these things? Are you still convinced of these things? Are you still sold out to these things? On this Pentecost Sunday, as we're gathered here together, and the Holy Ghost has already done some mighty things in here, is there anyone that can still say, you know what, I I, I know it's been hard for me in the past. I, I may have had to go through some things. You may have had a difficult journey that brought you here today, but you still need to be able, like Paul, to look back and say, I am still persuaded of these things. I am still convinced of these things. Because in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Your victories are not going to come through anything that this world offers. Let me tell you this. The devil, uh, we, we, we have, if I were to just say, if you were to mentally picture the devil, most of the time we get a cartoon character who's red with horns and, you know, he's got a little spear or something and a funny little tail. And, uh, and, um, and, and that's our image of the devil. Or sometimes we like to portray him as a as a monster, as this hideous 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 monster and and that is what he really is, but you what you've got to realize is this, is that when the devil comes to you, he's not going to come to you as a monster. If he did that, no one would no one would fall for it. When the devil comes to us, when he comes to tempt us, when he comes to attack us, when he comes to test us, he's not going to come to you as a monster, but the devil will in fact come to you as everything you ever wanted. Because he knows if he can come to you as everything you ever wanted, 
Notice I'm saying what you wanted. He knows that he can begin to work on you and he begin to trap you and lead you into a snare. But you see, you've got to be able to discern from what I want and what God wants. Because when you have the revelation of what God wants for me, when the devil comes, comes to you and he says, you know what, try this. This is what you want. You can say, no, no, no. This isn't what I want. Because what I want is what God wants. Your victories will not come from anything this world offers, but instead your victories will simply come through your connection with the King. We received a miraculous intervention, but it came after many, many nights where over a quarter of a million people every single night at 7 o'clock were on their knees, lifting up their hands, crying out to God, saying, God, we absolutely need you. If we don't have you, we will not exist. In one month, there will be none of us. We will be gone. We will be out of the picture. God, you are our only option. And so if you want those kind of victories in your life, you have to have a connection with the king. And to do that, you have to be persuaded of this. If you want a fire to keep burning, you have to keep putting wood on it. Receiving the Holy Ghost is only just the beginning. When you receive the Holy Ghost and you go down in that water in Jesus' name and you come back up speaking in tongues as the Holy Ghost begins to feel you from head to toe, that is not the end of the story. That is not the end of the journey. That is not the uh, the death certificate, as it were. That is rather the birth certificate because you have now been born again. That is not the end, but merely just the beginning. And just like when raising a child, when a child is born, you do not just say, okay, that's all we're going to do. I don't have to worry about feeding you anymore. I don't have to worry about putting clothes on you anymore. Uh, if we did that, we'd go to prison. We would. We would go to prison for that. But sometimes we can be guilty of doing the same thing spiritually to ourselves and to others. They go down, boom, they're born again, and we say, all right, good luck. Get in there, champ. We believe in you. Not realizing that we have instead basically just sent a baby, a newborn, into a situation that requires an adult. And so I'm telling you these things not as a criticism or anything of that nature, but just saying we have to be careful of these things and we have to make sure that we are aware that receiving the Holy Ghost truly is only the beginning. And when that fire is born inside of you and God has placed it inside of you, that we have to remember that that fire must continue to grow, that we have to keep adding things to that and we have to keep reinforcing that not only just in ourselves, but also in others. And of these things, we have to always be able to come back, just like Paul said, and said, I am persuaded. I am still persuaded. And we're going to spend a little bit of time tonight in the altar, uh, getting a little bit of a breakthrough and, and going back in time, because sometimes we are guilty of not putting logs on our own fire. We, sometimes we'll put it on everybody else's fire and say, God bless you, brother, here. Let me, let me show you what God showed me. Let me give you a word. Let me do this. Let me do this. And sometimes we neglect our own selves and, and realize that we haven't even begun to minister to ourselves and put wood on our own fire. 
We have to be persuaded of this. We have to be sold out to this. Uh, Paul was radically sold out to God. He, he was radical. The world's going to look at you and say, this is radical. This is wild. This is different. This is totally against the grain. You're, you're, you're not swimming with the current. And that's okay. You need to get used to that. And you need to go ahead and make peace with that. Uh, when you, when you've graduated high school. So uh, your next step, you're going to see that. If you already haven't seen that yet. I remember in high school, uh, my high school was very secularized. We couldn't pray. We couldn't do anything. It was, um, I, I would have biblical discussions with one of my teachers. And we would have to go do it in secret. I would get to school an hour early. Go in through a side door. He had, I felt like I was in a foreign country. I couldn't believe I was in the United States having to do this. And we would cover up the window. And he would lock and close the door. And in there we would pray together. And we would go through the Bible together. And I was being a witness to him. And we were going through it. And we were building a relationship. But we, we, had, to, we had to do all of that. In secret in the United States. And so you've got to realize. You're going to be going against the grain. You're going to have to do some things that are going to make you uncomfortable. No, I didn't want to get up an extra hour early. I was working late. (laughs) I was working that last shift at a grocery store. And so getting up an extra hour early, that hurt. That was painful. But it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be easy in the church. Uh, many, you know, God never promised you easiness, but what he did promise was that he was going to be there with you. He didn't, he didn't say, oh, there's, there's going to be no battles. What he did say is there's going to be victory. Many times as, as apostolics, we get upset when we go, oh, man, I can't believe I'm facing resistance. I can't believe, how dare they? I can't believe that I'm having to deal with this. I can't believe I'm having to suffer. I can't believe I'm having to do all this. When we forget that God said, this is what's going to happen to you. And sometimes we, we, we get to this point with God where we, we, we begin to say, you know what, God, I, I just, I don't know. The year 2020 was interesting. Because I was watching and I was trying to understand it from the field. Uh, and again, I'm in isolation, and so I'm having to spend a lot of time in prayer, and I can only see what the news is showing and social media. I couldn't really make a whole lot of direct contact. But I was sitting there, and God began to prompt me in my spirit and guide me to the situation, what was going on. And what he told me was this. He said, I want you to take a look at two men, King Saul and David. Both were kings. Both of, them, uh, both of them had been anointed. Both of them, uh, at one point, they wore the crown. They sat on the throne. They had, they, they had uh, a lot in common in that way. He said, but both of them at one point in their life were separated from the prophet. Both of them at one point were separated from the voice of God in their life. Both of them, the preacher that normally was there on Sunday speaking to them, at one point they were separated from them. And he said, I want you to look at how they reacted in those times. And so sure enough, I'm digging through the word of God, and I get to King Saul, and I'm looking at what he did, and I'm going, okay, wow, that's, that's not good. That's really not good. All of a sudden you realize King Saul is turning to witchcraft. King Saul is, uh, 
allowing things into his life that he shouldn't have. And he's beginning to stray uh, from God and the voice of God. Because Samuel, the prophet, wasn't there. There wasn't that that, uh, man of God speaking to him in that hour. But I flipped over to David. And David's in a crisis. He's separated from the man of God. He's got men ready to kill him. And the Bible records that David encouraged himself in the Lord. You see, David also had a connection with God. And, uh, and I'm not uh, downplaying the role of ministry. What I am trying to lift up is the value of a personal connection with the king. You have to have it. And 2020 revealed who had it and who didn't. Because I remember coming home and I looked and I talked to my brother and I said, Jason, what happened to this family? He said, I don't know. He said, they disappeared. 2020 started, two-week lockdown, and we never heard from them again. I said, what do you mean? He said, they're just gone. I said, they've been here for years. I grew up with them. He said, they're gone. Family after family disappeared. But there were people also, people who I would have thought would have never made it, would have never survived. I said, no, there's no way. But in the middle of all that, those were the families that were saying, I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. Even though I can't get to the church house right now. Even though I can't spend time with the pastor. Even though I can't spend time with the ministry. I'm still going to get down on my knees. Because I am still persuaded of this. I am still convinced of this. When everything around me is going wrong. And everything around me has gone bad. I am still sold out to this. And I'm not going to just walk away so easily. Paul was not the only one that was sold out in the Bible. Joshua chapter 24 verse 14 and 15 says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood... Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua had made a very clear choice on that day. It didn't matter what others around him were doing. It didn't matter what they were worshiping. It didn't matter what direction they were headed. He was saying, you make your choice, I've made mine. And I want to let you know right now, we're not going back to Egypt And we're not stopping where we are. But there is a promise ahead of us. And I am persuaded of this. I am convinced of this. And I am sold out. It's amazing. You begin to look at at right now in this scenario. As they are going. He references the past. Egypt. And he references the present. With the land that they currently dwelled in. The Amorites. But he was saying. There is a land ahead of us. There is a land ahead of us. He was saying, you can be stuck in the past, and you can be stuck in the present, but my God is sitting there in the future with a land of promise flowing with milk and honey, and I am persuaded of this, and we will serve the Lord. We're going to keep going forward. Hey, look, people, you got to be careful who you are worshiping, because if you're worshiping the wrong thing, it's either going to pull you into the past, and or it's going to keep you in the present. But if you start worshiping God, God is going to start taking you forward into the future. There are promises in your life. 
There are things that he has spoken to you about in prayer. And you have got to make up in your mind. I am persuaded of these things. And if I have to walk through Egypt, then I'm going to walk through Egypt. And if I've got to walk through the land of the Amorites, I'm going to walk through that land. Because I have my eye on the future, on what is coming. I am still persuaded of this. And I'm going to keep on going. Because I'm not going to get sucked into the past. And I'm not going to get mired down in the present. Because my God wants to pull me into a glorious and prosperous future. We must be careful of these things. Because when you begin to worship the past, inevitably, you get pulled back into it. I'm not saying we don't give honor to our elders. Let me qualify my statements. (laughs) But there are some people who glorify the past, worship the past, and then inevitably, they get pulled back into it. And there are some people who get so focused on the present, they start worshiping their present situation, that they inevitably get stuck in their present situation. And they find themselves unable to move. But we, the apostolic church, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in His name, anointed by God, we will choose to serve the Lord. And when we make that decision, God is saying, you know what? It's not your past that I'm concerned about. That's covered in the blood. Your present, don't you worry about that. I'm taking care of that. But what I want you to do is allow me to take you one step at a time into the future. And sometimes it can be so extremely scary because it's like walking into absolute darkness. And you're sitting there with your eyes closed and, you're, and God's just taking you a step at a time. But what I wanted to encourage everyone today is that when you are walking through life and you're going through life, you have got to be persuaded of this. Because there are so many times where it will be so tempting for you to pull your hand back and say, no, God, I'm going to stop right here. Or even worse, God, I'm going to go back into the past. But God is saying, hold on, just, just a couple more steps. We're almost there. We're going to make it. If you'll, just, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just be persuaded of this. I, I know there's some tribulation right now. I know there's some trial in your life right now. But if, if you can just dig in there like Paul did and say, you know what? I'm still persuaded of this. I'm still convinced of this. I'm still sold out to this. God will begin to lead you into things that he has waiting for you in the future. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has given you access to three things. Speaking about trades this morning, trades you make with God. We trade fear for power, love, and a sound mind. And inevitably, the devil will attack those three things. He's going to try to separate you from your source of power. He's going to discourage you from praying and seeking after God. And if you cannot do that, he's going to come after your ability to love God and to love others. He's going to try to turn your heart bitter. He's going to try to let jealousy uh, uh, begin to work. He's going to try to get your heart... Uh, Off course. And uh, if he can't do that, then he's going to come after your ability to have a sound mind. And we cannot let confusion enter into the church. And we cannot let confusion enter into our walk with God. Today, the world is in an identity crisis. Amen. You don't have to go very far to find that out. People today are identifying as everything. Everything. I'm sitting there going, I'm looking at people and I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And you see, there's this great void that people are filling 
with anything and everything except for the one person that can actually help them. People are turning to drugs. People are turning to alcohol. People are all kinds of sinful lifestyles. And and they're taking everything that they can and they're shoving it in there to try and fill a void that only God can fill. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You need to know who you are. And you need to know who you serve. You need to know who you are, amen? You are a child of God and you serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. He's your protector. He's your provider and the bringer of victory. And of these things we must be persuaded beyond all doubt. When Paul was being surrounded by a mob, he shouted out, I am a citizen of Rome. You've got to realize the impact that statement made. Because at that point, the crowd knew they no longer had the authority to touch him. The guards that were standing by, that were previously just watching and doing nothing, all of a sudden now they had an obligation to intervene. And when he shouted out, I am a citizen of Rome, all of a sudden the Roman guards came into that mob, into that crowd, and they began to pull Paul out of it. They began to pull him out of that danger and began to escort him to safety. The reason I'm sharing this with you is today, you need to get a revelation of your citizenship. You need to get a revelation of your citizenship. Paul knew exactly the citizenship that he had. And and you need to get that same revelation. When the world comes against you, you need to remind the world of your citizenship. You need to hold up that spiritual passport and say, you know what? This is who I belong to. I belong to a king. I belong to a kingdom. I am one of his children. I'm one of his saints. I've been grafted into the vine. I've been adopted. I'm part of the family. And you need to get a revelation of that. When that world starts to come against you, you can remind them that you serve Jesus. And there is authority in the name of Jesus. And when you begin to speak the name of Jesus, all of hell will begin to tremble. When you speak that name, mountains will begin to move. And when you speak that name, He hears you and He will answer. Are you persuaded? Are you persuaded? Are you persuaded? Are you persuaded? This is Pentecost Sunday. I'm simply asking you a simple question. Are you persuaded of this? Are you convinced of this? Can you look back at your life and say, no matter how hard it's been, God has never forsaken me. Can you look back at your life and say, oh, there's so many times where God intervened on my behalf. Can you look back on your life and say, I should have died right there, but God kept his hand on my life. Can you look back on your life and say, you know what, right here I wasn't going to make it. I was at the end of the, the rope, but God carried me through. Can you look back at your life and say, right here is where I should have ran out of money, but God intervened on my behalf. Come on, are you persuaded of these things? What's it going to take? What can truly separate you from the love of Jesus? The answer is absolutely nothing. And of these things, we must be absolutely persuaded. We cannot simply be sunshine Christians, only serving God when it is easy, when the rainbows are out, 
and the sun is shining. No, we've got to make up in our mind. We've got to get a little steel in our spine and a little gravel in our gut and, and, and get a little determination in our spirit that says, you know what, Paul, who was sitting there in prison having uh, lashes across his back, who had been through more suffering and persecution than anyone uh, that we know of, with all of that going on, Paul, the one person who, who in this room is most qualified to say I quit, instead wrote, I am persuaded of this, and I'm willing to see this through to the very end. And so I want to encourage you today, and as I come to a close, let us all stand. When you wake up in the morning, you need to know that you are a child of God. The Bible says, do everything in the name of Jesus. All that you say, in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. When you wake up in the morning, you need to know that you are a child of God. And when you walk throughout the day, you need to know that you are a child of God. When you go to bed at night, you need to know that you are a child of God. Today, I want to challenge you to stand fast in the truth. I want to give you that challenge. I want you to take that challenge home with you and take it to work on Monday. And whatever situation is there, I want you to go back to this scripture and, and begin to look, remember the words of Paul. Whenever the next challenge comes your way, whenever the next crisis rolls into your life, whatever it may be, large or small, you need to go back to the words that the Apostle Paul wrote and begin to read them and say, you know what, God, I'm still persuaded of this. I'm still convinced of this. I'm still sold out to this. It's going to take more than a pandemic to separate me. It's going to take more than political unrest to pull me out of this. It's going to take more than a little financial struggle to drive me away from God. It's going to take more than that because I am still persuaded of this. I want to challenge you to come to the altar and begin to examine your foundation. Go back to the very night that you received the Holy Ghost. Go back to that exact moment. I, if, I, if I could take you right now to Raleigh, North Carolina, and I could take you to the exact corner where at six years old, God filled me with the Holy Ghost. Because many times we can remember when we got the Holy Ghost. But today, on this day of Pentecost, we needed to let the Holy Ghost grab us. We got the Holy Ghost, all of us. We got the Holy Ghost. But what we need to do in this altar is come back down, get back, drill down into that foundation and say, God, I know exactly when I got the Holy Ghost. But right now, in the year 2021, today, on this Pentecost Sunday, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm no longer going to just walk around having the Holy Ghost. But I'm going to be able to lift my hands and say that I have begun to go deeper. I begin to worship more. I begin to get a deeper foundation. When did the Holy Ghost get you? It's the question you need to begin asking. I got the Holy Ghost is six years old. But when did the Holy Ghost get you? Many times we have the Holy Ghost and we walk around like that little infant baby. That's just the birth certificate. I'm here to encourage you. Are you still persuaded of this? Are you still convinced of this? Are you still sold out? Let's lift our hands right now. Let's spend a little time in prayer. Let's take a trip down memory lane. Go back in your mind. Begin to begin to remember your testimony. Begin to look back at all that God has done. 
And when it's done, I promise you, you'll be able to lift your hands and with boldness and with authority, you'll be able to say the same words that Paul was writing. I am still persuaded of this. Let's take a trip down memory lane. God wants to do something in your life on this Sunday morning. This is not the end. This is just the beginning. So I've come to conclude with this one final question. One final question. Are you still persuaded? Let's worship the king in this place right now. Let's lift him up in this place. God wants to do something in your life.